Philippians 4, 6 through 9. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. So it's been well documented in all different sorts of articles that I've been reading lately in magazines that our age, despite its uh, well-connectedness, is one of the most anxious and stress-ridden ages in human history. And it's, it's actually quite an irony that although we're connected through the internet and through all of our mobile devices and all sorts of social media and social networks, we're more connected in some ways to people than we've ever been, but we're also in some ways more isolated than we've ever been from people. And that's caused all sorts of anxiety. It's caused this sort of inner frenetic pace in many of our lives and in many of our hearts. We are an anxiety-ridden people. And for many of us, it's a paralyzing level of anxiety. For some of us, it's something that we just self-medicate. For others of us, it's just a constant low-grade worry or stress that we feel. But I would hazard a guess that almost all of us, to some degree or another, struggle with anxiety and fight against worry. I don't know if that's true for you, but it's true for me. I would imagine that it's true for most of us if we're being honest. One of my favorite singer-songwriters is a guy named Jason Isbell, and this year he put out a new album called The Nashville Sound, and on that album he has a song called Anxiety. And one of the things that he's doing in this song is picking up on what I think is more and more culturally normative, and that is the idea that all of us feel stressed and worried. Let me read you a line from this song. Here's what he writes. Anxiety, how do you always get the best of me? I'm out here living in a fantasy. Why am I never where I'm supposed to be? Even with my lover sleeping close to me, I'm wide awake and I'm in pain. I wonder how many of you can identify with that. How many of you are losing sleep on a regular basis because you're circling like a helicopter over a crime scene? The worries in your life, the stresses in your life, the things in your life that cause you to fear. It's a normal experience for almost all of us. And so the question for us this morning is, can the Christian faith help us in this at all? What does following Jesus Christ have to do with our chronic anxiety, with our increasing stress, and with the fear of the future that all of us seem to come across? What does it look like for Christians, for those who believe the gospel, to ward off anxiety as we seek to follow Jesus? If you're a Christian, it might help you to have a little bit better understanding of that. If you're not a Christian, if you're not sure what you believe, if you're skeptical about claims of faith and authority of the Bible and all those things, then maybe it's, it'll be helpful for you to think this morning about what, what being a Christian, what difference it might make to be a Christian when it comes to our anxiety and our fear. Is there anything in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can receive? Is there anything that Jesus offers to people who are anxious and fretful? That's our topic today. That's what Paul is writing about here at the end of this letter. 
We're wrapping up this letter Paul wrote to this church he had planted in Philippi, which is modern-day Macedonia, north of Greece. And here in chapter 4, he's sort of just giving all these numerous exhortations and little pieces of encouragement, almost like in a stream-of-consciousness sort of way. And he's wrapping it up just by trying to tell them as many things as he can remember to encourage them and train them and instruct them as they seek to be a faithful, young church together in the middle of a hostile culture. And he's just written at the end of verse 5 that the Lord is at hand. We looked at that last week. The presence of God is with these people. And as he's thinking about God's presence being with those who've faithfully believed in Jesus, it causes him to encourage these Christians to fight anxiety, to avoid anxiety. Look at what he says there. Don't be anxious about anything. And so I hope that we'll be encouraged this morning by Paul's instruction Because it's the Holy Spirit, really, who's the ultimate author of this letter. That's what Christians believe. And the Holy Spirit is right now speaking to each one of us. He wants to help us think about how to deal with our worry, how to deal with with our fear, how to deal with our anxiety. And so let me summarize the main idea like this this morning. Paul is saying, and God is saying to us through Philippians 4, we can avoid anxiety by addressing God and receiving his promised peace, okay? We can avoid anxiety by addressing God and receiving his promised peace. I'm gonna break that up into three parts and those will be our three points today. Okay, so first Paul tells us that we can avoid anxiety. Avoid anxiety, look there in verse six. He says, do not be anxious. He says, don't be anxious about anything. He calls upon these Christians to resist that state of being that is so common among us. To run away from our brooding and our pondering. To run away from being overly concerned with something. That's what he says. Don't be anxious about anything. Will you pause with me just for a second and let's try to read the Bible honestly. When I read that this week on Monday morning, getting ready for today, can I tell you what I thought? I thought that is completely ridiculous. There's no way. Is Paul just being naive here? What kind of person can say, don't be anxious about anything, it's good? It struck me as being radically unlivable, to be honest with you. I wonder if that's how you feel when you read that. Don't be anxious about anything. Oh, that's nice. More evidence that the Bible has nothing to do with my daily reality. Does anybody else feel that way? That's how I felt. It it actually reminded me of a, this is supposed to be a funny sketch. You should probably YouTube it today because I'm not going to retell it as well. But there's this, I don't even know what comedy show it's on, but Bob Newhart did this comedic sketch some years ago where he plays uh, a psychiatrist, a clinical therapist. And uh, he is in his office and a, a young woman comes in to meet with him for a counseling session. And she sits down and Bob Newhart looks at her and he says, here's the way I tend to work. Um, we've got one hour, but this is going to take about five minutes. And I will charge you $5 for the fir- first five minutes. And if we need to go further, it'll be a dollar a minute for every minute after that. Does that sound okay? And the lady says, sure, that sounds great. And so Bob Newhart sort of sits down kind of being serious and she can't really tell what he's thinking or what he's going to say. And he says, okay, so tell me how I can help. What are your problems? And so the woman opens up and she says, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. (laughs) And she says, because I'm so afraid of being buried alive, I can't really go into a car or into a tunnel. I can't even go into a house. And Bob Newhart says, so you mean to tell me that you're claustrophobic? And she says, well, yeah, I guess that's one, one way to summarize it. And so Newhart says, okay, I have two words for you that I think are going to fix this immediately. Are you ready? And she says, okay. And she starts to get out a, a notebook and she says, do you want me to write this down? 
And he says, well, you can write it down if you want. It's only two words. Most people can remember it. And she says, okay, okay, what are they? And he goes, two words. Are you ready? And she says, yes. And he says, stop it. Just stop it. And she looks at him with this strange, confused look on her face. And she begins to go into her family story. She says, well, when I was a child, my mother, and Bob Newhart says, no, 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 no. We don't talk about that stuff. We don't go there. Just stop it. And then she, he says, what else can I help you with? And she begins to share other problems. And each time he says, stop it. Just stop it. It's really funny. And it's intended to sort of, <laughs> trust me, it's funny. It's, it's intended to sort of, you know, get at how absurd it is for people to give us advice for something that we don't really believe can ever really be fixed. And that's kind of how it feels here when we read Philippians 4, 6. It might feel initially like Paul is just saying, stop it. And when you think about what these Philippians are going through, it sounds even more ridiculous. I mean, these ancient Christians had experienced the rejection of their family and friends to decide to follow Jesus. There was significant persecution that they were facing from the government of the day. There was conflict within the church. We saw that last week. They're worried about, the fear, uh, they're worried about and afraid about the safety of their family. Think about what we go through. I mean, as a pastor, I get to hear a lot about a lot of struggles. And I, just in the given month, in a given week, I know that we're dealing with things that cause us significant anxiety. Some of us have to deliver surprising news to our parents that you know they're not going to respond well to. Some of us have had to bury our friend David Miller, just buried his wife of 50 plus years. And even now is wondering what he's going to do next. Some of us are facing real pains of past hurts in relationships and seeking to move forward. Some of us are wondering if we should accept a new job for less money, even though, or or should, should we stay in the same job we're in, even though we don't like it at all? Some of us are juggling various family members at this time of year and trying to make everybody happy during Thanksgiving. So the pumpkin pie doesn't taste quite as good because of the awkwardness and the weirdness of whatever family experience that you're gonna have on Thursday. We have a lot of things to worry about in our lives. And it's absurd to think that we're not going to be anxious. So why is Paul giving us this command? Well, I I do think it would help us to see that Paul is not naive. He's not just simply saying, like the Bob Newhart sketch, stop it. Stop being anxious. He's not being that simple. Actually, I think Paul's doing good diagnostic work on our hearts here. And I want you to see how Paul connects anxiety in verse 6 with our hearts and our minds in verse 7. Do you see how he mentions our hearts and our minds there? What Paul is saying is that the problem with our anxiety is that it doesn't come from the outside. It comes from the inside. It comes from our hearts and our minds. Listen to what the pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote about this. He said, we can control many things in our lives and outside our lives, but we cannot control our own hearts and minds. This condition of anxiety is something which is, in a sense, outside your own control. It happens apart from you and in spite of you. Isn't that true? Think about those times when you're super anxious. It's just automatic. It's not something you're in charge of. You lie awake and you can't sleep because your mind is on warp speed, circling your various problems. And we would give the whole world if we could stop the heart and the mind from going on working, from revolving and thinking and keeping us awake. 
And that's what Paul is actually getting at. He's not just saying, hey, stop it. Avoid anxiety. Rather, he's acknowledging that our hearts and our minds are often attacked by anxiety. And that we can't really control whether this happens or not. But what he does say is that we can control and we do have the power to respond well to our fears, our worries, and our anxieties. What can we do to fight against it? How can we actually begin more and more in our lives to avoid it? Paul tells us. He says, avoid anxiety. And then secondly, he says, avoid anxiety by addressing God. Look in verse seven. Don't be anxious, or six, sorry. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So Paul doesn't just say, stop. Nor does he say, you know, it's really statistically improbable that the thing you're worrying about is going to happen. So you probably shouldn't worry about it anymore. That's what I do on airplanes, by the way. This is a side note. Every time that I'm about to take off, I get worried and I start thinking, the likelihood of this plane crashing, sorry if I freak any of you out. I hope no one has to fly this afternoon. The likelihood of this plane crashing is so low that I probably shouldn't worry and it tends to not help me. But that's the way my mind goes. I start doing statistics in my head. Paul doesn't do any of that. What he says, rather, is when anxiety hits, you can fight it, you can stop its tide by making your requests made known to God. And interestingly, he uses four different words there for prayer. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, requests. He says prayer is the antidote to anxiety. Now, I know some of you think, if you've been a Christian for a while, Okay, Luke, I knew you were going to say that. I've tried prayer. It does not help me. It does not work. It hasn't done much for me, my anxiety. <clears throat> when I feel worried, I'll throw a prayer up to God, and I still feel worried. So how does this help? Well, I think that's why Paul uses four words here. What's going on? I think what, what the gospel is telling us, what the scripture is telling us is that we fight against anxiety and fear and worry not by using prayer as some sort of pill. As some sort of pill that we can just swallow and boom, immediately, presto, problems are gone, worries fade. Prayer is not like a Christian version of a rabbit's foot that you can just rub on and all your problems disappear. Rather, prayer is communion with God. Prayer is inherently relational. Prayer is coming face to face with God and experiencing the reality of his presence in your life. That's why the word request is listed last. You notice that in the text? Part of what's going on here is we're being told this, before we say, God, please take away my fear. Before we say that, we come into his presence and we rest and we worship him and we enjoy him. We have a relationship with him. That's why those words prayer and supplication with thanksgiving are come before the word request. Before you come rushing to God with your petitions, come into his presence and enjoy him. Remember that he's your father. Worship him, adore him, thank him. Paul's saying that we fight anxiety by remembering who God is and by meditating on his promises, by thinking about what he says to us in the scriptures. Listen, if your practice has been, I feel worried, oh, it's time for me to start praying. That's like saying, I'm not in very good physical shape. I better go try and bench 450 pounds. 
I haven't worked out in three years, right? I'm going to go do CrossFit's most difficult thing tomorrow. It's not going to go well. You might die. Don't do that. But you have to train yourself to be in God's presence. God doesn't exist as a magic genie that you can rub his bottle and poof, he comes out and helps you feel better. Rather, when you think of prayer as communion with God and remember the promises that he's given, that's the way we fight. I mean, just think about some of the things God says to us in the scripture. Psalm 46, we read that God is our refuge and strength, a present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, we will not be anxious, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. 1 Peter 5, cast your anxieties, your cares upon God because he cares for you. Romans 8, he who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all, if he's done that, if he's given us Jesus, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Paul says, be in God's presence, pray to God, know God, remember his promises. And then he says, thank God. That's a weird word to throw in there, right? Thanksgiving? I'm feeling anxious and afraid and I should thank God? Yes. That's how you fight. When you were feeling worried, before we say, God, help my worry, we say, what can I thank God for? God has sent his son to die on the cross for me and for my sins. There's a terrible problem facing me, yes, but God has sent Jesus into the world. I will thank God and thank Jesus for bearing my sin on his body, on the tree. I will thank Jesus for rising again from the dead for my justification. I will thank him for the many blessings I've received from him in the past. I will thank him for delivering me out of trouble in the past. And then you bring your needs to him. Then you ask him for help and make your requests known for him. The kind of prayer that defeats anxiety is like a cocktail of communication with God. It's a mixture of all these ways of speaking to him and relating to him. If you're a parent, I think you might be able to understand this. Think about this. When your children are young, some of you have older children, but remember back when they were young, some of your children are young now. When one of your children is afraid of the dark or afraid of something that might be lurking under their bed or in their closet, typically they don't just come up to mom or to dad and say, dad, please take away my anxiety. Or mom, I don't want to be afraid anymore. Please help me. No, they treat us as parents, right? They come to me as a father, unless I'm the one who scared them. Then they go to mom and they go to mom as a mother, right? if I've told them a scary story, which tends to happen sometimes in our house. They don't just come and say, please take away my anxiety immediately. They come trusting us. They come knowing that we can help. They want to cuddle. They want to snuggle. They want to get underneath the covers with us. They want to feel a sense of peace that comes from knowing that your parents are there to care for you and protect you. Children come to parents relationally and not ritually. And that's what Paul is instructing us to do here when we feel afraid. To come to God relationally, not ritually. Prayer means remembering and believing that God is our Father. That God loves us. That he has helped us before. That he's with us now. We can bring our needs and our requests to him. That's different than just the prayer as a suggestion box way of doing things. Listen to one of my favorite theologians who I quote often. Henri Nouwen. Here's what he writes about prayer. Prayer is often considered a support system which is used when we can no longer help ourselves. 
But this is only true when the God of our prayers is created in our own image and adapted to our own needs and concerns. When, however, prayer makes us reach out to God, not on our own, but on God's terms, then prayer pulls us away from self-preoccupations, encourages us to leave familiar ground, and challenges us to enter into a new world which cannot be contained within the narrow boundaries of our mind and our heart. Prayer, therefore, is a great adventure because the God with whom we enter into a new relationship is greater than we are and defies all our calculations and predictions. We avoid anxiety in process over time as we learn to address God, not as an auto-suggestion box, but as a father who loves us and is with us. And look at what Paul says next. We avoid anxiety by addressing God, and then verse 7, receiving his promised peace. This is one of the great promises of all of the Bible. If you're not a Christian, if you're not familiar with the Bible, if you haven't been in church in a long time, then let me just tell you, this is one of the best things about being a follower of Jesus. Look at what verse 7 says. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will, this is a promise, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, what a great piece of news that is. Maybe it's worth just pausing for a second and thinking, man, that is really good. If that's true, that's really good news. That God's peace, a peace that we can never really fully understand, it surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds. The peace of God is what allows us to rest we read. The peace of God is what allows us to not worry. Let's look closely, a little more closely, just for a second at this promise. Let me show you three quick things about it. First, notice there that the peace of God, the peace that helps us avoid anxiety, is a peace that comes from outside of us and not from inside of us. Did you see that? It's God's peace. It's not our peace. It's an alien peace, right? It's an extraterrestrial peace. It's a peace that invades our lives. It's not a peace that we can concoct through method or through mindset. It's a peace that's given to us by God in Jesus free of charge. It's a gift. It's not a peace that can be earned. It's not a peace that can be manufactured. It's a peace that comes from knowing the God who is peace. If you could work that into your life, in a real practical way, can you think about how encouraging that would be? One of the benefits of connecting with Jesus by faith is that this kind of peace is available to you, a peace given to you by God, a tranquility that comes when we know deep down that the troubles of the world can't really touch us because we're caught up in God's own life through Jesus. The troubles of the world don't have the final say in our story because God's future reign of peace has broken into the present in Jesus Christ. It's an extraterrestrial peace that comes from the outside and not from the inside. It's God's peace. Secondly, the peace of God is given as a gift and it guards. You see that word there? It guards our inner lives, our hearts, and our minds. I love that word guard. That's a word used in the Greek language elsewhere to refer to sentinels or soldiers who would stand guard at the top of a battlement or at the top of the wall of a fortress and walk back and forth, keeping watch, making sure that the enemy does not come into the walls of the city. Now, of course, 
when I think about that, I think about the Lord of the Rings. And uh, in the second book of the Lord of the Rings, the two towers, there's this place where a big battle is fought. And the place is called Helm's Deep. And Helm's Deep is this fortress slash cave that has literally been dug into the side of a mountain. And there's one way in. And uh, in the book, it's portrayed really well. The movies do a pretty good job of this too, but the book's better, as always. And um, in, in the book, you, the, the army of orcs is coming to invade Helm's Deep. They're, they're vastly outnumbered. And it's the nighttime and the rain is pouring down. And there are a few men, along with elves and other other heroes on the wall at the top of the battlement of Helm's Deep looking out upon the field to see the invading army and lightning crashes. Boom! And they see masses, more than can be numbered, of orcs and trolls and bad, nasty creatures preparing to come invade. But they know, they know it's going to be a hard fight, but they have deep confidence because they are in an impenetrable fortress. That's what, that's what the peace of God is for those who have trusted in Jesus. The peace of God guards us like an impenetrable fortress. It covers and watches out for our hearts and our minds. The image there is instead of orcs, the worries and the struggles and the fearful things of the world that are attempting to invade our lives... We see them, but we know that God stands on guard. He is a sentinel. He is a fortress. He is a soldier watching over us. God guards our restless hearts when we feel emotionally weary. God guards our hearts when we are heartbroken by relationships. God guards us when we're afraid of our circumstances. God guards our wandering minds when on our beds at night we lie down, but we cannot sleep. When we struggle with doubt, when we circle our fears like a helicopter. That is when God is most present with us. God watches over us. As the psalmist says in Psalm 4, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. It's a peace that is a guard for us. God guards us. And then the last thing I want you to see is that this peace of God is found in Christ Jesus. He will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, we read. That's, that's really the Apostle Paul's favorite shorthand way of expressing the good news of Christianity, the gospel. And so what he's saying here is that the attainment of God's peace, this peace that will guard us like a sentinel, the peace that cares for us, that kind of peace comes through being joined to Jesus Christ. It comes when you find yourself in Christ Jesus, as he says there. What does that mean? It means that those who have trusted Jesus are joined to Jesus. We're connected to Jesus in Jesus's death and resurrection. So that what it means to be a Christian is this. When Jesus died on the cross, as the Bible tells us again and again and again, you, if you're united to him in faith, you died to sin with Jesus. Sin has no power over you. Evil does not reign over you. The darkness has been done away with in your story and in your life because you were in Christ. You are connected with him in his death. And you're also connected with him in his resurrection. So that even now, the resurrection power of Jesus, the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is resonant within you. When you're connected to Jesus, when you believe this good news of the gospel, you get the benefits that Jesus earned in his death and resurrection now. 
And one of those benefits is God's peace. It comes through knowing God. It comes through connecting to Jesus. It comes through faith. And so ultimately, the way to get God's peace, the way to begin to overcome and avoid anxiety, the way to the kind of life that might initially strike each one of us as really a fairy tale, is through trusting Jesus by faith, not just once, but again and again, day by day, more and more, as we're helped in worship, as we're helped in Christian community. Have you done that? Have you had that kind of experience so that you can say, my life is hidden in Christ with God? Have you believed that Christ died on the cross to take away the brokenness and the wounds of your own life that sin and rebellion have caused? Do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead to give us and to empower us to have the kind of life that we might initially think is completely unlivable? That is available to you by faith. And so at the end of the day, what Paul beckons us to, what God beckons us to through his word is to trust that these things are true, to trust that Christ has died and Christ has risen, and that because we're connected with Jesus, we can really begin to fight anxiety. My oldest son, uh, Nate, is not here today, so I can tell this story about him. Um, he, uh, when he was born, he, uh, he was screaming bloody murder. And uh, I have three children, and uh, in the first moments of their life, they all responded differently, but Nate screamed. And I remember thinking, I hope this doesn't bode for the future of what it's going to be like with this child. And it hasn't. He's a great kid. But he was screaming like crazy, and no one could get him to stop. And I've often wondered, what, what is it that made him scream? And there's all sorts of reasons. Maybe he saw who his, his dad was and uh, was afraid, right? Fear. Unquestionably, fear was one of them. Anxiety. I want to go back where it was safe and comfortable. Who are these people? What is this place? It's cold. It's scary. He was afraid. And so his natural response, as many of our natural responses is, is to cry, to scream. And... I was a brand new dad, first time I had been a dad, and I didn't know what to do. I just remembered hearing the screaming, and no one could comfort him. And they had him down weighing him in that, you know, those first few moments of life, trying to calm him, get him cleaned up. And, and uh, I went over to him, and as a brand new dad looking at my son for the first time, just kind of stuck my finger in like this. And Nate, this is not a lie, this is not an exaggeration, he reached up and he grabbed my finger like this. And immediately he stopped crying. It was just like silence. And Marianne was like, who came in here and helped Nate? Because that couldn't have been Luke, right? It was me. It was amazing. It's a great first moment as a dad. And, and I've thought about that moment often. It only worked that one time, by the way. He's never stopped crying after that. Uh, but in that moment, it was, it was in so many ways to me a mirror of the gospel. It's a mirror of God's love for his children. God's love for you. God's love for me. It's a mirror of the truth that when we reach out to God and say, I am helpless, help me. I love you. I know you're my father. I know you, are my, you work for my good. I know you are my refuge and my strength. And we grab a hold of him by faith. He can calm our lives. That's the promise that's available here in this text. It's a promise that's available in the gospel. And part of being a Christian is learning more and more and more to believe and to work that promise into our daily lives. Are you doing that? May it be the case with us more and more as we grow in Christ by faith. Let's pray.